Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. I have in my hand books that was written by Dr. Veronica B., good friend of ours, first letter of Central, Central Christian Church. She gave the book to my wife, and the title of the book is Why Women Act Foolish. And even though it's a book about women, it's also a book for the benefits of men. The book will help us as men to understand some of the foolish things that the women do, that we are incapable of understanding on our own. But there's a difference, a big difference between acting foolish and being a fool. A fool is not a person who does something silly or absentmindedly. This is foolishness, and it's based on a one-time act. So, so before we, we get into the scriptures, and we have a lot of them, Let's clarify what a fool is. The word fool is recorded some 200 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And the word foolish is recorded over 70 times. Normally it's an Aramaic word that can be translated empty head. Now what did I say? Translated as what? I want y'all to get that now. And this, this, this condition in, in, in the original language described the condition of a man's head or what's inside his head, causing him to act senselessness. A fool is not someone who does not use common sense. A fool is someone who don't have no sense. His head is void. His head is numb. To common sense. And that's why we get this term numbskull from. He acts rationally without thinking. A fool is a person, and y'all kind of don't look around at someone else, but who hitchably rejects what is right. A fool is someone who refuses to change because they don't see any need to change. Fools is one that think they know everything. But it's obvious to everyone around them but them that they don't even know what they're talking about. And get this, a fool is, put, puts himself off as an expert and refuses to listen to anybody else. Do you know a fool? Well, this being the case, all men are fools sometimes. Are y'all hearing me, ladies? All men are fools at some time because we think we know more than we do. Thank you, ladies. Some of y'all ain't afraid to go home today, are you? 
And when it's obvious that we don't know, we still try to justify why we think so. Can I give you an example? It's plain as day that we don't know where we're going. But we'll keep going that same route anyhow. Refusing to admit that we're lost. Hoping that we'll find our way. All men are fools sometimes. Let me put it this way. We're part-time fools. But, but, but some men are fools all the time. So ladies, first thing you need to determine today is if you are married to a part-time fool or full-time fool. The man in our text today was a full-time fool. So if you're married to a full-time fool or you're getting ready to marry a full-time fool, Pay attention to the message today. The background is set at a critical time in the history of the nation of Israel. King Saul, Israel's first king, has become insanely jealous of David. David became famous because he killed the giant Goliath that nobody else would face up to. He also killed other enemies of the nation. So David became a national hero. You don't know the story, I suggest you continue to read that in Samuel. King Saul knew that David was supposed to be the king, God's choice, but he still wanted to kill David. Even after David spared his life, he still tried to kill David. So here we find God's chosen one, David, depressed on the run for his life, being pursued by King Saul's army. To make matters worse, God's prophet and priest Samuel had died. Samuel was a special friend to David. He anointed him to be king. And David was not even allowed to go to the public mourning service of Samuel because he knew that Saul would take that opportunity to kill him. So David, along with 600 men, fled to a mountain region called Carmel. I want you to just think about this. This is perhaps one of the lowest moments of the life of David. That's when this text that we're going to go through occurred. You'll join with me in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'll start at verse 2, verse 3, verse 1, just simply say, and Samuel died. Verse 2 reads, And there was a man in Maon, or could I read it this way? There's a man in Macon, I mean Maon, <laughs> whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, this translation to ESV. But the man was harsh and badly behaved, 
And the ass is he was a cable bike. In other words, he came from good stock. He should have known better. So just because someone has got good parents don't mean they won't become a fool. In this passage, we are introduced to a married couple. Husband is rich. The woman is pretty and fine, good looking, smart. On the surface, these are characteristics of an ideal marriage. But the text also goes on to identify this, this husband as harsh and badly behaved or had an evil behavior. behavior. His name was Nabal, which means The text also lists this husband's vast amount of financial resources. 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. Goat provided meat and milk. But the sheep, they were like money. Not only providing food, clothing, and shelter, their wool was highly sought after. And while they were in Carmel, David and his men was a source of protection for the husband's financial resources. Their presence protected the herd and the herdsmen from wild animals, from thieves and from bandits. And in addition to that, David and his men never took one thing from this herd. Usually the herd would lose many sheep and goat during this period of time, because this is the period of time called the rut or when the goats would conceive and be in heat, and more sheep would be born, more goats would be born. So what he brought to the mountain, because of David and his men, probably tripled. Nabal became very prosperous. As he heard that he went and got back, was full of wool, heavy with wool, and it was time to shear them or to cut the wool and to sell it. And Nabal had so much of an increase in his and his product, he decided to throw a feast that was fit for a king. It was called the Shearer's Banquet. They would come and shear the sheep and pay him. So all the money was coming in. And the thing about a sheep, them same sheep would go back out the next year and grow the same thing. Verse 4 of chapter 25 says, Then David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. David said to the young men, Go to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you. Peace be to your house. Peace be to all you have. I heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. And we did not harm them. And they missed nothing at all the time that we were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at your hand to your servant, to your son David. This request from David was a reasonable request. The husband would not have prospered had it not been for David and his men. If David hadn't been godly, honest, and humble, he would have took some of the Goats and sheep for himself. Notice David did not demand a specific amount. He made a fair request for consideration. They had been in the desert a long time living off the land. Probably eating rabbits, foxes, and anything else to catch, but they did not touch 
the good stuff. And all they were basically asking for was necessity of life, something similar to bread and water. Verse 9 says, when David young man came and said all that Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servant, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? I want y'all to notice that now. There are many servants these days who break away from their master. Shall I give my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers? And give it to men who come from I do not know where. So David, young man, turned away, came back, and told him all this. This husband's comment was not only one of ingratitude. It was rude and disrespectful. And his question, who is David, doesn't mean he didn't know who David was by his own admission, calling him the son of David, and the fact that he broke away from his master tells us that he knew who David was, that he was running from Saul. When David heard the reply, David was outraged. And all of you to really understand this and kind of have to uh, 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 fast forward a little bit, we're going to come back. Let's just go to verse 25 of chapter, verse 21, chapter 25. And see David's response when he hears this rejection by Nabal. Now David said, surely in vain have I guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness. So that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him. Nothing was missing of all that belonged to him. And he returned me evil for good. And then David takes an oath. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David had already been through a lot. He's been chased by Saul as a fugitive. He lost his mentor in Samuel. And now he gets rejected by somebody he's helped. This was the last straw. So David calls an all-out war, not only against the husband, but every man in the house. Now let's return to the story and go to verse 13. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men, 400 men went up with, after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. David took this rejection personally. Not only did he order his soldiers to take weapons, he took his own weapon. David was seeking revenge upon a man who rejected his acts of kindness and his household. We can learn a lesson about that. And had it not been for God's intervention through the husband's wife, David would have carried out his evil desires to destroy every man in Nabal's household. Verse 14 says, but one of the young men, 
told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at him. Yet the man was very kind to us and suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the field, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both day and night. All the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. It's a good characteristic of the fool again. Can't nobody tell you nothing. Over here in this conversation between David and me and one of the husband's employees told his wife, Abigail, he explained the situation and encouraged her to act in a proper and appropriate manner. Verse 18 tells us what she did. And Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves and two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, five sheaves of parched grain, and a hundred cluster of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and laid it on Donkeys, don't miss that plural. This was a caravan. It was enough to feed 600 folks. And she said to the young man, go before me, behold, I come after you. That was the reason for that. But she did not tell her husband. She did not tell her husband. A lot can be made of this, why she didn't. A lot of people will say that she was wrong. But it was a matter of time. David and his army is marching toward them. Verse 29 says, verse 20 rather says, And as she rode on her donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Abigail and David was like two ships in the night on a collision course. David was armed with weapons of war, but Abigail was armed with provisions of peace. I'll say that again. David was armed with weapons of war, but Abigail was armed with provisions of peace. Abigail had responded quickly by getting these provisions together to resolve the matter. But she knew she could not approach David directly. Not only because it would have been an act of aggression, but a woman was not supposed to approach a man. It was a sign of disrespect. That's why the servant went before her. Verse 23 says, when Abigail saw David, she heard got down from the donkey, fell before David on her face, and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Get this now, on me alone, my Lord. Be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord Regard this worthless fellow neighbor 
For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is in him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. I want you to notice how she approached David. She approached him with reverence. And she took the responsibility for coming to him directly. She pleaded for her husband's life. But she did not justify his behavior or excuse his actions. She just simply said, his name is the fool and he's acting like one. But she was petitioning for mercy. But the results, and I want you to get this, of her action went farther than she could ever imagine. She was just requesting for mercy. She asked him to take these gifts. I'm giving you more than you asked for. David saw her as a godly, virtuous Woman that was a vessel or a messenger of God. Notice what he says in verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God who of Israel, who sent you to me, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed is your discretion. And blessed be you, whom have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hands. For surely, as the Lord, the God of Israel, who had restrained me from hurting you, unless you had heard and come to meet me truly by morning, there would not have been left to Nabal, not one male. David saw something in Abigail that Nabal didn't. He saw her beautiful character. He saw her bravery. And her efforts gave him time to reflect on his own action. He remembered that vengeance was the Lord. And not his. So verse 35 says, Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice. And I have granted you your petition. See, the importance of this is Abigail stopped David from killing the innocent people. He, he was not only going to get neighbor, he was going to kill everybody. And this would have been something later on he would regret. And he thanked her and blessed her. What's the heart of the matter if you are married to a fool? I want to look at this from a parable form. You know, parable is an example of something to bring about something else. See, a wife who's married to a fool can learn something from this. David was the man after God's own heart. He was Israel's greatest king. So Abigail's action was to the king. Y'all got it? 
Her action was to the king. So David is a foreshadow of Jesus, the king. Now let's look at what she did being a wife of a fool. Number one, she listened to the message about the king. When the servant came to her, she listened. She could have just said, up, oh, up, oh, don't want to hear nothing about it. She could have said, whatever he do, it's on him. But she listened to the message about the king. A lot of times when you get upset as couples and somebody's trying to tell us something, we pull down the curtain because we don't want to hear. We don't want to listen. Number two, she responded wisely to the king. She responded and not reacted. You know, when you react, you just do things. When you respond, you think about it. Number three, she acted with discretion for the king. She didn't tell her husband. Because she knew he wasn't going to listen. Anything that she was going to say to her husband was a starting argument. So sometimes, and I'm getting ahead of myself, it's best just to keep your mouth. <laughs> Number four, and perhaps most important, she went to the king. She didn't run for cover. She didn't hide. She didn't try to get her soldiers to go fight. She went to the king, and she prepared herself quickly and said she hasted. She didn't waste no time. Number five, she took an offering. Y'all hear me? She took an offering to the king. She gave him more than he requested. Number six, she worshiped the king. She bowed down. She laid prostrate before him. And the last one, she made intercession to the king. She prayed for her household. Mainly her husband who was a fool. So if you are married to a fool today, remember three things. <laughs> a fool will not listen to a wise person, let alone another fool. Don't Try to reason with a fool. Number two, avoid acting foolish yourself. You can put your hand on your hips and roll your eyes and all that stuff. Now you just became foolish. And number three, remember God is faithful. Rely on him. And wait on his timing. He will lead you as to when to move and when to stay still. He will let you know when you open your mouth and when you keep it shut. And you become a fool too if you don't do it. But ladies, I want to share something with you. Well, everybody here. 
there is one thing worse than being a fool's wife. And that is being a fool yourself. I got one last scripture for you. Then I'm going to tell you the end of the story. The scripture is Psalm 14.1. Said the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Sometimes when you act out of character, you're acting as if there is no God. You trying to take matters in your own hand, fight your own battles, you're acting like there is no God. Well, the question is going to be, are you a fool? See, David was going to take matters in his own hand, but because of this woman, he did not. The end results was, Abel one got drunk. I said Abel, Nabal. She didn't tell him until he woke up the next morning. And I imagine she said, I'm fool, you almost got everybody killed. <laughs> and Nicole and Alvin, he had a stroke. Couldn't move for 10 days. And then he died. <laughs> that freed Abigail. Not only was she free, she ended up getting to be a queen. Because David sent soldiers to marry her. Don't go out and kill your husband because of that. But I do want you to remember <laughs> it's bad enough to have one fool in the house. Don't have two. Let us stand. Fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That is the biggest fool that you can ever have. Someone who don't believe in God. We want to tell you how to receive Jesus as Lord. But you got to believe. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.